Welcome to the Newsmakers Podcast. I'm Billy Hollowell, and this is a show where we go behind the headlines every day to bring you an interview with a pastor, entertainer, politician, or other notable news figure. And this is a show, again, it's daily, but it's based on our weekly TV show, which is also called Newsmakers. You can watch it on the CBN News Channel and also on our YouTube page. And on this show, every day, we dive deep. It's a little more longer form with one of the people who you will often see on our Newsmakers show or across the CBN News platforms. On today's Newsmakers, a Christian leader who was born and raised in Iran is now ministering to that country in some fascinating ways, but he's also warning about what might happen if ties between terror groups like Hamas, the Taliban, Hezbollah, and ISIS strengthen. The Reverend Lazarus Yegnazar, founder and president of Transform Iran, it's an organization that spreads the gospel throughout the country of Iran. He is joining us today to talk all about some of these troubling collaborations that he believes are already unfolding between these terror groups. With no further ado, let's hear what the Reverend Lazarus Yegnazar has to say. You have an incredibly unique story, having lived in Iran, you know, serving in the military there. You have, I think, some insight onto what is like what it is like to be inside that country. There's a lot going on in the world right now. Let's start with your story. Tell us a little bit about your early years, your upbringing, and what it was like in Iran. Well, I was born in the time of the Shah of Iran, and uh, it was the second in line of the Pahlavi dynasty. His father, Reza Shah the Great, he started that dynasty and outseated the Qajar dynasty, which had been going on for a long time. And extremely, you know, despotic and extremely corrupt and very backward thinking. So the Pahlavi dynasty came in, you know, with modernization, opening up. And Reza Shah did something very incredible. He says, now women should not be forced to be covered under this. Islamic uh, code of hijab. He started it, and actually some Iranians fled to the southern Arabic small enclaves, not willing to give away this hijab. But Reza Shah thought that this hijab is going to subjugate women, and he wanted to modernize Iran, he wanted to open up, and he did that. Then, cutting a long story short, his son took uh, on, and the country was booming with every possibility. Entrepreneurs were flooding in, there were 24,000 American servicemen working in Iran, Hughes Industries, Raytheon, you name it, Boeing, General Dynamic. And uh, to be honest, I start because we were not a rich family, and my father used to work in the Bible Society for close to 40 years, 39 years to be precise. I wanted to study English, but there was no money that was for the avant-garde and super rich. But my one of my uncles were working for a non-commissioned officers club as a chef. I said, listen, would you take me? I will do anything. He says, listen, you're only 14 years old. It's a tough work. I said, I will wash the dishes. I will clean. And they employed me for one month. And then it carried on for three months. And then I did it for many summers. That's where in the non-commissioned officers club in Iran, I picked up my English. And it was exciting because then I took some books, some literature, and uh, growing in Iran was, uh, Islam was uh, a very happy, coexistent religion with everything else. And I remember one street, for instance, where I used to walk a lot of times, Pahlavi Street. There was a mosque, there was a church, 
And there was the Kukpa Kambala, a striptease joint. I live in kind of the Lotus Vivandi, you know, we're very happy living together. If you wanted to practice your Islam, you could go to a mosque. If you wanted to practice your Christianity, go to a church. If you want to do all sorts of other boozing, etc., there is a striptease joint. All are equally permitted. Then, of course, the revolution happened 43 years ago. And everything turned around. Five million people welcomed Ayatollah Khomeini. And he came and he brought the true Islamic mandate in Iran. What this true Islamic mandate is, it's yes, yet to be prescribed clearly. But many Muslim scholars have been debating it for two, three years. What is a pure Islamic mandate? And I would say in a very short way is Islam has got a habit of either you subjugate everyone to become a Muslim or they have to pay a limi or a, a, a fine to be able to operate and live in an Islamic country without, without being subjugated to torture and that. And this is going on all the time in the Middle East. And Khomeini brought this Islamic mandate, revived it in a very powerful way. And that has been taking on many regions of the Iran area or the Levant area. You know, when you look at what is going on right now, obviously you described a very different situation in Iran before to what we currently have now. What is the motivation when you hear things like, we want Israel off the map, we want Israel gone, when you see that they are collaborating and funding and working with Hamas and Hezbollah and other organizations, what is driving that? Yeah. Uh, Lily, to be honest, I see a lot of sensationalism in Christian journalism towards the Hamas situation and Israel situation. I like what uh, your ex, you know, uh, Secretary of State Henry Kissinger brought in as a real politic. The real politic is that there is a deep bitterness in the descendants of Ishmael. But this, this deep, deep, uh, you know, bitterness, sometimes it just fades away and sometimes it's hypered back. Now, Khomeini came and hyped it back to an unprecedented level for a deep bitterness in his own life. Khomeini says, Israel should be obliterated from planet Earth. Now, we, we can speak for hours and, and we can dissect why he did that. And this has been going on as a result. Iran became a fermentation ground for all those people who had a bitter Islamic mandate against Christianity, Judeo-Christian values. If you look in Yemen, if you look in Iraq, if you look in North Africa, wherever, in Mindanao, Philippines, I mean, nobody is, you know, uh, away from this hand of Iranian, you know, uh, attitude of obliterating Israel. They have very trouble in Bangladesh, in Pakistan. And some countries like India, they said, listen, hands off. You cannot bring trouble to the Muslims in our country. But uh, the deep bitterness is against Judeo-Christian values. And anybody who wants to, especially they come from Islamic background to Christianity, Christian faith, they're absolutely going bonkers about that. And this is why in Iran, over a million people who have come to Christ, every single one of them has to pay a price one way or another. So I would say, Hamas, who has been protected and mentored and coached and directed and equipped by Iran and 
another country, small country, which is an ally, sadly, of the United States, Qatar. Qatar is now housing and protecting Haniyeh, Ismail Haniyeh, who is the leader of Hamas for many years. And uh, but by far the you know the greatest mentor, coach, uh, and uh, and uh, trainer and financier of Hamas organization is Iran. And where they will stop? Only God knows where they will stop. I think this destruction is going to carry on. You cannot get the deep root of bitterness away. You can destroy buildings. And I, I'm not going to enter into politics why Israel is doing what they are doing in Gaza. And the whole world is going uproar. And this is inhumane. They don't say what is inhumane. What has happened in Iran for the last 43 years is inhumane. Iran is gassing its own schools, good schools. They're gassing them, killing them. Nobody says this is inhuman. Their, their own people. Their, their own they're, people are under oppression. And my friend Billy, if they're doing it, their own girls in the schools and they're silencing everyone. They said, none of your business. We'll do what we want. They're killing, raping, murdering. They have been doing it all around for not 100, not 1,000, tens of thousands of university students. Even yesterday or two days ago, they arrested more university students because they dare to show some tiny bits of hair when they were attending university. So this country and these rulers will not stop in any way but to ferment more trouble. And that so, is what will happen. Let me ask you this, because I know that you've said a couple of things, and I have some of your statements in front of me here, and I want to share them and get go a little deeper on them. You talked about the plague of bitterness, which you just spoke about. You also talked about the fact that if this is left unchecked, you know, it's not just about obliterating Israel. It will come in to subjugate everyone, not just Israel. You also pose this question, and this is where I want to focus. What happens if Hamas, Taliban, Hezbollah, and ISIS join forces, which is a terrifying thought, and yet these groups have very similar ideologies or, or even goals. Talk a little bit about that. How likely is that? Is that already happening? And what do you fear? Oh, it is happening. I, I can't go into details of that. Uh, I don't feel safe even in United mm. Kingdom where I live. It's just God's providence and God's protection that I'm able to survive so far. Uh, the Iranians, if this, and they're, they're fermenting this trouble and this bitterness among all these people that you said, Hashtashabi, the Houthis, etc. But they're now drawing people from Mindanao, Philippines. They're Taliban who says, now listen, give us an open way. We want to get to our brothers in Gaza. And there are people in Pakistan who want to do that. I think Iran has, for the last 43 years, fermented bitterness and, and hatched on this beehive. It's not a beehive, it's a wasp. Uh, bees are good, you know, little creatures, but the wasp, the wasp nest is there. And if this wasp nest is broken, it's enough that one of the cruise missiles from Hezbollah region attacks Tel Aviv. This time it will not be a few hundred, it will be tens of thousands. Israel cannot stop. The American fleet are there manning the whole situation. But I think you're very a hairline crack away from the whole region burning in an inferno. You know, and, and that is that is the terrifying piece of this puzzle. I'm going to ask you a question, and it's going to seem maybe silly on the surface because of being believers and knowing that there's a spiritual realm. But I want to get your reaction because a lot of the world is looking at this as a purely political, temporal issue. How much of this is deeply 
spiritual in your view? I think it's absolutely deeply spiritual. It's the darkness over light. And, you know, there is a lot of exaggeration from the right side, from the left side. As I said, let's not let's avoid the sensational politics and talk about real politics. This is not a matter of obliterating Israel from planet Earth, which they cannot do it. Hitler tried to do it. He didn't succeed. Where is Hitler? He's gone with the history. And he's going to pay the price, staying in hell forever and ever eternity. I think this obliterating of Israel is going exactly against the biblical mandate. When you look at Ezra chapter 1, by the way, when you think about the Bible besides Jews and Arabs and Palestinians, there is a big chunk of Iran there, history of Iran in Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, Esther, you know, the Cyrus and Darius. And Ezra says that the king of Iran, the spirit of God, invoked something in him that he had taken a lot of jewelry from the temple from the Nebuchadnezzar's palace and gave it back. He says, go and restore your temple. I think this darkness from the Ayatollahs is totally opposite side of what God did through Cyrus. Go and build your temple. Now, they don't want to build a temple. They want they not only to destroy the temple, but they want to destroy the remnants of everyone who had been a part and parcel of that. So this is going on for centuries. This bitterness will not go away. Now, the question I've been posed in the last few weeks by different reporters is, what is the verdict? I think to wake up because these guys are already sending from Ecuador, from Venezuela, revolutionary guards into your country, the United States, they're doing it. I mean, if I'm aware, I'm sure your intelligence community is aware of that. They are not going to stay here and say, okay, you bomb Gaza and destroy it and you bring their American fleet. They will do everything to destabilize. These people enjoy destabilizing. These people enjoy jihad, which is a fight, because the, there is a deep animosity with Judeo-Christian values. And, you know, as you said, spiritual in nature, one of the things that has shocked a lot of people watching the crisis with Israel and Hamas and all that's going on are these claims and reports of Hamas using human beings as shields, using Palestinians as human shields, you know, engaging in this behavior that seems so foreign to a Western mind, but obviously to a Christian mind, right? That you would, mm -hmm. that you would use other people in this way. Can you reflect on, on any of that at all? Because that, that seems to be, it's just otherworldly in so many ways. Well, their worldview, which is Hamas, and also let's let's be very uh, plain about it, their yeah. mentors, which is Islamic Republic of Iran, mainly, uh, they have mentored them, they have coached them into this, that we have to we have to fight, we have to subjugate, we cannot live coexisting together in peaceful way. Either you fight to subjugate, and we are killed and destroyed. There is no coexistence. In this type of Islamic theology, there is no peaceful coexistence, and I think the West has to understand it. Today is Hamas, tomorrow is Hezbollah, they will create another Taliban, ISIS. It is constant because they cannot accept peaceful coexistence with Judeo-Christian values. It's not only Western values, but their animosity is against any biblical value. Now, where, where this will end? I think this will end in an absolute Armageddon. It, might, we, it is coming towards us. But believe my sadness is not what Satan is doing because this is already 
uh, it prophesied in the scripture that this will happen. My sadness is what will happen to wake up the church? What will happen to prevent the church into forgetting its own pity, you know, introvert attitude and come say, listen, let's join hand. This denomination, that denomination, it is far by gone the time of even evangelizing. This is a time that we are nearing the end time and we need to wake up and pray together so that God can perform his own will into the humankind in this region of the world. Final question for you, and I could talk to you for hours because your story is is so fascinating, uh, but how can we pray? Because you just mentioned that we need to come together and pray. What are the prayer points, the biggest ones in your view right now? Well, I think that, you know, uh, having said this kind of doom and gloom situation, I want to tell the listeners that millions of Iranians have turned to Christ. And no one ministry or no one organization can take credit for that. That is absolute, tragically false. That's not possible. In the, in the book of Isaiah, it says, A nation which didn't seek me, I stretched my hand. And it's not only for the nation of Israel. Iranians, really, and my dear listeners, brothers and sisters in Christ, they were not interested. When I was growing up in Iran, no one person was interested to hear the gospel. We were trying to talk with people. People say, get out of here. Go and work. Lazy smuggling because we are trying to distribute tracts. But what happened, the Islamic Republic was formed. All of a sudden, hundreds, then thousands, then tens of thousands flocked towards the church. And as a result, the Islamic authorities got very furious and they started obliterating, destroying, closing down all the churches. They didn't know that God has given us the tech technology of satellite. And because of satellite preaching and ministry and social media, millions have turned to Christ. I think we will have an opportunity, and I'm not afraid of that. Iran will open up for the gospel in unprecedented way. I think before the end time when Armageddon, tens of thousands of Iranian missionaries full of the Holy Spirit will march into Turkey, into Yemen, into all these Arabic countries and say, listen, this is not revolutionary guys. This is a revolution through Jesus Christ. We are here not to kill and destroy, but we are here to pray, pray, heal, and amend and attend to their wound. This will happen. Please believe into that. And accelerating this will be the united prayer of Christians. Not to be afraid of what Hamas and Hezbollah will do. I think they will do what Satan has asked them to do. But the question is, are we ready to do what God has asked to do? To go on our knees, pray for healing of our land. Well, I thank you for taking the time. Your organization, Transform Iran, you're doing work on the ground, um, reaching hearts on the ground there um, in that country. Appreciate you taking the time to come on today. And thank you very much. And when we meet in the 100,000-seat stadium in Tehran, Billy, I will interview there, and you will hear the singing and worship of many ethnic Iranians. That day will be upon us very soon. That's all for today's Newsmakers podcast. Be sure to tune in for the next episode of the show and also head over to the CBN News YouTube channel and the CBN News channel to watch Newsmakers every week. We'll see you soon.